Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, November 30th edition of the Basement Academy. Let's begin with our morning psalm, Psalm 120. It's one of the pilgrim psalms as the people would make their way up to Jerusalem. They would be singing or chanting or uh, meditating upon these psalms. So they're all really short psalms. This one's just, uh, what, seven verses. And so Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Mm. Psalm 120, just short and sweet. I live among a people that do not wish <laughs> me well. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And so the reality of Israel, surrounded by the Gentile nations and tribes that wish to do them harm. This continues to be the case. Anti-Semitism is a harsh reality. Um, we Christians sometimes find ourselves uh, in a similar spot, though probably not quite the same as, as Israel. Anyway, let us be people of peace, even if those around us are for war. Okay, we have been, for the last couple of days, uh, I've been offering some random and not so random thoughts. And so just just every day's not connected <laughs> to the to the day before. I want to share with you today uh, something I came across recently. Uh, it's a first things article. First things is a journal and um, deals with foundational principles, both of our faith as well as a constitutional democracy. So it's a, it's a really thoughtful, I've enjoyed it. Uh, you might want to consider subscribing. Um, and so this is a First Things article written by a guy named Bradley Green. And the, the preface to the statement, it's a statement of a, by a school, a, a classical Christian school that he helped to found in Jackson, Tennessee, the Augustine, or uh, that's probably how you pronounce it, Augustine, but probably Augustine School. And this is a statement that their board put together and published, and it's it, Article 1, Article 2, we affirm, we deny. It's an interesting construction of the statement. Um, I find it quite compelling, quite helpful. And, and what it is, it is a statement by a Christian school, a private Christian school, that is trying to clarify its position, its stance on social realities, what, 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 what it calls social theory. And so if you recall, going back to last year, when I talked about critical race theory, that is one expression of something that's more deeply called critical theory that frames the world in terms of the oppressor and the oppressed. Uh, 
and looks at people as members of an identity group, your race, your class, your gender, and then the intersection of those. So intersectionality, uh, made some reference to that uh, yesterday. Our evangelism, the Presbyterian Evangelism Conference, is talking about intersectionality. And so it's so, this is a, I'm just going to read uh, many sections of this statement for you and, and try to make a, a few comments as well. So let me just get to it, knowing that the reading will take a, a couple minutes here. And so this is the Augustine School Statement on Social Theory. Christians of every generation must attempt to understand the faith they profess, to understand the entailments of that faith, that is what it entails, what it calls us to do, and to apply that faith in ever-changing times. There is both an irenic aspect to Christianity, that is, Christian, and this is their words in parenthesis, Christianity seeks to live at peace with others, so there is an irenic aspect to Christianity and also a polemical aspect to Christianity. That is, Christianity has always seen the need to draw boundaries when necessary. So the irenic aspect, so now this is me commenting, the irenic aspect is Christianity living at peace with all people. We are a people of peace. Even if they speak for war, we are for peace. But there is a polemical, that is, a needing to define ourselves. Where are the boundaries of our faith? We've talked about theological belief and boundaries in our denominational discussion, okay? So that's my comment. So they're recognizing there's both aspects of Christianity. This statement, the Augustine uh, School statement on social theory, this statement is meant to be a theologically sound, biblically faithful, and culturally engaged statement which attempts to address a plethora of interrelated challenges for our own day, okay? So I'm going to read some of these just to give you a, a taste for it. I'll go ahead and ask Joy to post this uh, as well. Article 1. We affirm that all persons are created in the image of God, cites Genesis chapter 1, and descend from an historical Adam, and thus there is a fundamental unity across the human race. So that's the affirmation. We, we, we are descended, we bear the image, created in God's image, descend from Adam. We deny that any racial or ethnic category can nullify or negate this fundamental unity of all persons as created in the image of God since all persons descend from an historical Adam. We further deny that one's racial or ethnic makeup is at the heart of one's identity, especially in comparison to one being created in the image of God, which is the case for each person, and two, being united to Christ by faith alone apart from works, as applies to believers in Christ. For those who are in Christ, the most pressing and central aspect of one's identity is to be found in being in Christ, not in one's race or ethnicity. And then it cites uh, half a dozen uh, scriptures. So, first affirmation, all people made in the image of God descended from Adam. We deny that, that one's race or other category is the most important aspect of their identity. I'm on board with this. Article two, we affirm that all persons who follow Adam 
accepting the Lord Jesus, that's in parentheses, have indeed fallen in Adam, their representative head, and enter into the world guilty, corrupt, and with a proclivity or tendency to sin. We deny that any group of persons is more or less virtuous, more or less special, or more or less worthy on the basis of the categories of race or ethnicity, or on the basis of tribe, language, people, group, or nation. We are all fallen. So Article 1, we're all created in the image of God, so we deny that any other identity is more foundational than that. Article 2, all are fallen in Adam, all sin. So therefore, we deny that one person or one group are more special than others. We are all share the taint of sin. Okay. Article 3, we affirm that after the fall of Adam, there was a great animus like animosity, a great animus, hostility, or antithesis established between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And it cites Genesis chapter 3.15. So go read it. So I'm always talking about Genesis 3, right? Genesis 1 and 2, creation. Genesis 3, the fall. I love this. So the, the great animus or hostility or antithesis is between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. This antithesis runs through the rest of history. Christ is the true serpent crusher, that's in quotes, who defeated the serpent by his death and resurrection, conquering evil and sin definitively with the full revelation of his victory still to come at the last day. So again, at the end of time, we will see that victory in its fullness. So that's the affirmation that the, the, the real antithesis was between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman with Christ being the victor. We deny any worldview, philosophy, or ideology that places the fundamental antithesis somewhere else, such as the tendency in our own day to place an antithesis between oppressor and oppressed or between different races. I have never thought of it this way. Man, I love this. Because what critical race theory uh, kind of framed uh, growing out of a Marxist worldview, Marxist understanding of the oppressed, the oppressor and the oppressed, the bourgeoisie, the economic oppressors, neo-Marxism stretches that to any form of oppressed can look to an oppressor. So our worldview, the, the kind of the, the ethos of our world today that is driving so much of these diversity, equity, inclusion ideas, sees the fundamental antithesis between races, between genders, m the, the, the male-female antithesis, the white-black antithesis, the rich-poor antithesis. What this statement is trying to be theologically sound says the deepest antithesis or animosity is between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Wow. Fascinating. Love it. Love it. Love it. Article four. We affirm that the eschatological or final state of God's people, this is coming out of Revelation chapter five and seven, the eschatological or final state of God's people consists of persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. I've read that before, okay? Read that to you before. So we affirm that the final state of God's people is every tribe, language, people, and nation. 
we deny that the difference of tribe, language, people, and nation constitute differences which deny a common humanity, and we deny that persons who come to Christ are inferior or superior to another based on differences of tribe, language, people, and nation. So it's, it's staying grounded in this fundamental unity of the human family. And it's recognizing that God's vision, the purposes of God, are to unite every tribe, language, uh, people, and nation. So we deny any these differences that are fundamental and foundational that would transcend our unity in Christ. And so this is what troubles me about the emphasis of our own denomination that is this lifting up this antithesis and this um, these, these racial differences as foundational and primary, deeper even than these foundations in Christ. So again, love this. That was Article 4. Article 5 is a little long. I'm going to read this because it's important. Article 5, we affirm that our Lord Jesus Christ was born into and lived his entire earthly life in a society in which animosity between groups, example, Jews and Samaritans, men and women, was a reality. So Jesus was born into a world that Jew and Gentile, male and female, there were these differences and these uh, animosities. This was a reality with consequent inequalities between groups in various contexts of life. So Jesus was born into a world where there were inequalities. As a Jewish man living in a society that was shaped primarily by the influence of Jewish men, Jesus experienced what many today would call privileges of his social standing. So we affirm that Jesus came to a world where there were these inequities, inequalities, animosities, and that he enjoyed social privileges. We deny, along with the universal testimony of Christian orthodoxy, that personal sin or guilt can be rightly attributed to our Lord Jesus Christ, and this would include any personal sin or guilt that is supposedly attached to the inheritance of social privilege. Consequently, we deny that guilt should be imputed solely on the basis of social privilege to any person, for such an imputation implicates our Lord in sin and consequently unravels the fabric of the whole gospel. Okay, there's a lot going on there. So what they're saying is, we affirm Jesus was born, born sinless. Okay, so we have to start with Jesus. The scripture affirms that Jesus was born sinless and was without sin in his life, but he was born into a world of in inequalities and where these animosities. So as a Jewish man, he enjoyed privileges. So we deny the, the inherent sinfulness of having privilege in a society. So saying, I as a white male in this society, I don't deny that there's privilege with that. I deny that there is sin associated with that because otherwise we would have to implicate Jesus as a sinner because he enjoyed privilege as a Jewish man. These guys are geniuses. Their ability to, to understand theology and apply it to this particular situation. That's Article 5. Uh, article 6 speaks again to the, the, the unity across tribe and, and language. 
Um, Article 7, we affirm that all persons who have come into the world, accepting the Lord Jesus, come into the world guilty, corrupted, and with a proclivity towards sin. We've already talked about that. We deny that any sin, including the sin of racism, defined as actual animus towards someone solely on the basis of that person's race, can be attributed to a person simply because of that person's racial or ethnic identity. We further deny that the sin of racism is by definition or in fact unique to one or more than one race or that any given race is incapable of committing the sin of racism. So it's restating that we all are born in sin, okay? But what it's denying is that the sin of racism belongs to just one race alone. Racism, as defined here, I share this definition, is an actual animus hostility towards someone solely on the basis of their, that person's race. What this is trying to get at is the notion that only white people, so for instance, what is being taught today in our society, diversity, equity, inclusion, the allyship training that our own denomination offered, only white people can be uh, guilty of the sin of racism. No other race could be guilty of that because only white people have the privilege, have the power, have the upper hand in society and in the world. Now, some would say, well, yeah, of course, white guys are going to, you know, I, I don't know if Bradley Green's white or not, but, but these are theologically faithful statements. These are theologically faithful statements. Hmm. We have Article 8, we affirm that sin is a devastating reality that pervades every human heart and in various ways affects every aspect of human life. That's the affirmation. We deny that persons or the systems they create are sinful by necessity or inherently. This is because man as created is not sinful. We're, we're created in sin. Man as fallen is sinful. While there is a universal universe, universality to sin and a tragic tenacity to sin, we deny that sin, including racism, is by definition or by necessity a part of every relation, system, or structure. Again, a lot going on there. It's denying the notion that just because a system exists, a structure exists, it is by definition racist. This is what is being taught today. So again, it's acknowledging sin is pervasive, but systems in and of themselves are not racist, okay? Um, I'm looking at my clock. Uh, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to put, I'm going to maybe read one more. This will be Article 12, and this it is reflects that it's a, a Christ-centered school. But Article 12, we affirm that Holy Scripture does indeed teach a social theory, what we might call a biblical or Christian social theory. As a Christ-centered school, we are eager for our students to wrestle with the Scripture and to realize that Scripture says much about social theory, about the nature of reality, of the centrality of the family, or the, of the importance and propriety of marriage as an institution between one man and one woman, of the importance, though not ultimacy, of civil government, 
Rather than deny that the Bible and Christianity have something to say about social realities and social theory, we are eager for our students to develop a truly biblical and Christian social theory. So we, we're affirming that the Bible teaches about social realities, about the human family, marriage, government, the family, etc. So it's affirming that. We deny that Holy Scripture is neutral with respect to ultimate questions of social theory. We deny that the scripture is silent on questions of the family, of marriage, and of civil government. We deny that what is called today social justice or critical theory or critical race theory or wokeness or anti-racism is compatible with a biblical and Christian notion of social theory. I'm sure that will upset many. <laughs> But it's affirming these realities. Um, it's a great statement. So it's got, uh, it looks like about 14 articles. I read seven or eight of them. Sorry for the long reading and having to endure that. What is so important about this is it's the ironic and peaceful approach of Christianity to the polemical reality. We need to define who we are, what we're about. And this school is seeking to define that. Not everybody will agree. Not everybody will agree that this is a peaceful approach. I, I think it is. This seems to be a, a, an attempt to balance truth and grace. That the truth, the, the affirmations, the denials, speaking to the realities of the day, but doing so, not calling out the other side, but just we deny if, if this is being taught, we deny that. This school is defining itself. It has a right to do so. I would argue it has a responsibility to do so. I, I'm eager to bring this statement to our elders for our own consideration. Perhaps we would want to adapt this in some way so that people may understand more fully who we are at Greenwich. I think this will help us in our discernment process around alignment with the Presbyterian Church USA. So anyway, the Augustine School Statement on Social Theory. I'll, I'll ask Joy to post this. Um, it'll be on the website underneath the, the video here. If you're listening on the podcast, go to the church website and you can download it. It's, I don't know, six or seven pages or so. Anyway, read it. Um, not asking you necessarily to agree with it, but at least to engage it and reflect upon it as one attempt as a Christian institution to define itself and to speak into the social realities of our day in a thoughtful and, and wise way. So anyway, I commend it for your reading. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Augustine School in Jackson, Tennessee, and we pray for your blessing upon its effort and all of the Christian schools seeking to educate and train young people, young minds, in the ways of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would protect the school as this statement is circulated more widely now because of this article, and, and help us at Greenwich to clarify more fully who we are and where we stand and how we understand these matters. Lord, these are challenging times, and so we pray for your grace and truth to be our guardrails that we might live wisely and well before you all our days. Hear us as we make our prayer now in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God make you to be a person of peace. No matter what others speak, may you always be a person of peace in your home, in your neighborhood, your place of work and play, and in your church as well. May you do it this day and forevermore. Amen.